1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Welcome listeners to the Art Slice Museum Laboratories Division of Color Theory and Color Studies. Art Slice Museum LDCTC. I'm Russell Shoemaker. I'm Stephanie Duenas. And a little later on, we will be joined by the one, the only... The the pinkest of the pink. Stuart Semple. Hello, it's amazing to be here with you. Our Pontrimons have been hard at work compiling data from your different experiences with colors, listeners. Here in the Art Slice Museum LDCTC, we're going to touch on the history of color theory, talk about the history of the pigments behind the paint, then get into ours, and most importantly, your associations with those colors, listeners, because if you're an artist, an art admirer, a designer, if you're Justin Thoreau pouring pink paint into a box of fine jewelry, or if you're just a Barbie girl (laughs) living in a Barbie world, color impacts you in ways that are obvious and not so obvious. So today, come on, Barbie. We're going Let's to go party. We're going to be discussing our most Stephanie? controversial color yet, at least in the Eurocentric West, pink. The the color of not just pink cheeks, flowers, and scars, but saltwater taffy, peptabismal erasers, amoxicillin for for children, snubble, snubble, snubble. <laughs> <gasps> Hey. And those delicious frosted animal oh cookies that you eat the entire bag of. As patron the Viridian Killer put it, Thank you, VK. Quote, There is so much to say about pink. Pink is the only color in today's Western culture that all we do is add white to one primary color, mm. red, and give it another name. Then, treat and act like it's a completely different color from its origin. All that pink is, is light red. I like that cut through the bullshit, VK. But that also <laughs> made me realize that I separate light red from pink, like, all the time. Like, I tend to think of capital P pink as in like uh, plastic hot pink toys, you know, mm-hmm. or it's almost muted. I, I don't really know what to call it. It's like kind of like a, a Palm Springs pink, Ooh. you know, that muted bubblegum color yes. that I like. Not like the dirty bubblegum pink uh, of Philip Guston. 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 But those original pinks, the, the the earthier natural pinks, I'm talking like the pinkish dirt in Cambodia. I don't, I don't always equate those with pink. Natch pink. Natch pink. <laughs> Earthy natch pink. Speaking of earthy natch pink, that color actually reminds me of uh, Bologna mm. in Italy. Okay. The buildings are kind of pink. They're kind of red, mm-hmm. somewhere in between. It's like a, it's like a pink terracotta. Yes. Okay. It's actually, they're made... Or a kitten nose pink. Ma- maybe. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it's, maybe, it's, maybe, it's actually like, bol- they think of bologna oh, okay. in America. Okay, your, that's a better Your analogy. lunch meat. <laughs> yeah, your lunch meat. But a nickname for the city is La Rosa, which okay. is red. Like, because okay. the buildings are red, but I think... Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah, fond memories having a belly full of bolognese, mm. pasta bolognese. Yeah. <laughs> and not kitten noses. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat kitten noses. Okay. They're really cute, I know, but don't 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 gobble them up. Don't gobble up those <laughs> kitten noses. Don't gobble them up. Don't gobble them up. Don't gobble them up. 
But anyway, that all means that, like, because I, I, I equate pink as, like, plastic pink to mm-hmm. pink, that uh, American consumerism has, has, done a, has done a job on me. But reading your answers, listeners, and, and talking to Stuart, you, you've sharpened my eye for the pink. I'm spotting oh, pink everywhere. Definitely sharpened my eye as well, yeah. as these episodes do. Yes. Th- thank you, listeners. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Stephanie, for giving me pink, pink eye. You gave me the pink eye. Okay. You've given me the pink eye is what I'm trying to You're- say. <laughs> You all have given me pink eye, and I, I want to say thank you for that. I mean, it is it is contagious, so... Yeah, it is. We need to address the pink elephant in the room. Mm, yes. Okay? That, as patron Dr. P put it... Thank, thank you, Dr. Dr. P. Quote... Hey, maybe it stands for Dr. Pink. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> pink has such a rich and sordid history that it's still hard to separate myself from it. As a child, my face would turn as pink as the aisle of the department store I was caught in. Mm. End quote. So we're going to we're going to try we're going to try to pry mm. pink away from its gendered implications. Yeah, the wo- the woke pink mob tr- <laughs> trying to cancel pink taxes. Okay. And trying to cancel the 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 murderous gender reveal parties, Stephanie. They're a problem. Yeah. They're how problem. how how am I going to know what the geni- how am I going to tell the world the genitalia of my baby if I can't sear a, a majestic redwood in the color of its genitalia? While the the, the, the the crop duster flyer crashes into the earth and, and gives his life up for my child. For shame. The, my flesh and my blood. My, my pink flesh and blood. We'll get into that. So, pink. Pink will tell on you, listeners. Okay, it brings out an opposite extreme reaction in many of us that can be revealing about how we view each other and ourselves. A, a unique uh, f- folle adieu, Stephanie. A, a, fo- a folle a, a lots of people. A mass hysteria, if okay. you will. Okay. okay. All over... Just what, I mean, a light red. So let's get into it, listeners. You can find all the images we are about to discuss and the images we couldn't get to because you submitted so many on our Instagram page at ArtSlicePod. Or if you are one of, of the few, the, the 0.5% of our audience who are watching us on YouTube. We love you. God bless you. May the pink gods bless you because, <laughs> dear God, we need help over there. You can just keep watching because we're going to show you the fucking images. Like, you can just watch. We're in a pink room. If you're, if you're listening right now, come come look at us. We're, we're in a pink room, a very pink room. We, we spent a lot of time on this. We yes. did. We sure did. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Chips! The overhead projector! It's time! Chips, no. Chips, that's the pink noise machine. We can't even hear Chips. Okay, well, that's a TV, but all right. the television. It's it's fine, it's fine. Stephanie, it's the return of that hot new segment from last year, the one the listeners have probably all forgotten about, called How We Perceive Color Chemically. Our last episode was in November. And unlike that last color we covered... Oh, blue. Oh, oh, blue. Yes, unlike blue, blue, humans actually had a written categorization for pink in our early recorded history. In the Odyssey from uh, 800 BBJ... Triple BJ. Triple... Okay, that's that's, that's (laughs) something different. Homer (laughs) skips by ever, ever mentioning blue, even when speaking of water. But the dawn... Homer describes as the color of rosy digits. Those rosy hues that got stuck in the subsurface Rayleigh scattering and their extraspectral cousin, Magenta, may have forced us to confront them much earlier than blue due to their connection to the faster, louder, blood, bloodier red wavelengths. Your roses, your pinks, your purples, your, your magentas were a genetic variation of red pigments called anthocyanins and were attractive to certain pollinators who spread them both far and wide. 
Flamingo Stephanie turn from their baby grays to the impossible to ignore Miami Coral Pink. While feasting on very common carotenoid loaded foods like fruits, crustaceans, and algae. Algae which thrive in less than ideal salty waters turn said salty water like the flamingos into a, a blazing pink. Okay? Like they turn the whole ass, uh, ass. ass bodies of water when exposed to sunlight blazing pink. All in the name of photosynthesis photo photosynthesis, and chlorophyll production. <laughs> so many <laughs> words. This is all to say pink is one of the most common and oldest pigments available. Well, hi there, everybody. Not much for formalities, are you? <laughs> well, that, that... I'm Pinko Pigment. Okay. Oh, where did I come from? Yeah. yeah. I guess you could say... I came out from under a rock. Marine shell rock, that uh, is. Okay. Buried under tons and tons and tons and tons of uh -huh. Sahara mm -hmm. Desert sand. Mm -hmm. You see, hundreds of millions of years ago, I was a part of a large chlorophyll network. Um, mm -hmm. Like that one there okay. he just mentioned. Right. And we were all cruising along the super sea highways, enjoying the sunshine. And before we knew it, myself and all my panko friends were all trapped. Okay. okay. And okay. we found ourselves slowly being fossilized. Well, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. It was terrible. You cannot fathom. Dr. P, Dr. P. The horse. We, hey, we need to wrap this up because we, we are skirting some, some serious copyright. Take it to go. Take it to go. Well, anyway, like I was saying, uh -huh. I blacked out on account of the immense pain. That's mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. Like a butterfly. Okay. Mm -hmm. I emerged from my fossilized cocoon. D all pink and beautiful. After, of course, I was crushed, mm -hmm. extracted, mm -hmm. and analyzed by a team of scientists. Mm, so, oh, scientists. Well, th thank you, Pinky. Let's all... Okay. It's Pinko. Like Pinko... Pinko pigment. Pink, okay. Well, like Pinko has alluded and to... And I'm not okay. really alluding. Sure. I'm telling you mm -hmm. a factual account of my experience. Thank you so much. I I'm was. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody thank Pinkski for stopping by. Bye, bye Pinkski. Okay, well, what? P Pinkski? 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 Pinkski is saying it's true because it wasn't only found in remote lakes and $7 bottles of, of algae seltzer. Landimals. Landimals? Landimals. <laughs> Land meat. Slowly oxidizing myoglobin proteins cooked from, from blood red to pink to brown or as far back as 100 uh, <laughs> 100 BBJ, it, it would cure to a prosciutto pink. So it's no wonder that the term carne, carne, or meat shares cues and similar names with carnation, the flower, mm. or that carnal used to describe desire, often for someone else's steak or T-bone or, or triple BJ, <laughs> because pink oh is God. inseparable from our own human meats, our, our body carne, okay? Our, our, <laughs> our vessel flanks, our meat vessel. Our, our, you know, our meat, our meat stuff. Listener Esther quoted a quote from Janelle Monet about her 2018 song, Pink, mm. with a Y. Quote, Pink is a brash celebration of creation, self-love, sexuality, and pussy power. Pink is the color that unites us all, for pink is the color found in the deepest nooks and crannies of humans everywhere. Yeah, and pink is the color of our, of our brains, that life-giving blood that circulates through our skin's tissues. Our bodies, regardless of skin tone, have plenty of pink pigment. That's why Homer called the sky rosy-fingied, 
or, or whatever. It, it's our <laughs> most primal color. It's our most biological color. Everybody's got some pink in you and me. Let's get into the characteristics of pink, which covers a dizzying array of hues, saturations, and values. Right. So much so that it's sometimes unclear what the baseline pink, the platonic ideal version of pink, actually is. So there are so many hues of pink. There are, there are hues that are bluish in nature, like your periwinkle, fun to say, your ultramarine Pirate. pink. Hues that skew earthy, like your classic potter's pink, you know? A little rose granite. A little rose maybe? granite, sure, yeah. sure. And hues that are orangish, like your, your flamingos, your corals, your, okay. your salmons. And hues that seem to have that, that je ne sais juice, Stephanie, that, okay. that extra juice. That, that may be magenta's redder cousin, like fuchsia. Uh-huh. Or or hot pink, uh-huh. or maybe Ronnie pink. All of these colors, even though they don't look related, <laughs> they have one thing in common, okay? It's red. Red. Yeah. Red, red. but also yeah. white. Right. When longtime listener at Sophia's Cons Consto mentioned that pink reminded her of mixing up ketchup and mayo for mm-hmm. French fry dipping, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And she is practicing the creation of that baseline platonic ideal of pink. Yeah, and an okay. unholy aioli. <laughs> No, yeah. no. Okay, fifty percent ketchup, fifty mm-hmm. percent mayonesa yeah. is the best oesa. Okay, yeah. Um, certain <laughs> certain ketchups, I guess, certain red pigments just just work better for pink, though. Like I, I gotta disagree a little bit with VK. I'm sorry, VK. Oh, no. I think you know you can always make a light red, but you can't always make a pink with a red pigment. There are just some <laughs> red pigments that just just radiate pink. So for the question of saturation, when you look at companies that sell straight up baseline pinks, Mm. that 50-50 combo (laughs) almost always means a middle-of-the-road saturation. Value-wise, it's pretty much middle-of-the-road as well, if not skewing a bit lighter. And that's because of the white content, right? It means that very few pinks can be transparent. They're almost always mostly opaque. (laughs) Right. Almost always mostly opaque. Right. Due to its red (laughs) contents, baseline pink is decisively warm and decisively organic. However, Stephanie, when we get outside of the the platonic baseline pink that you speak of, okay, Mm And we go, we go off into a field, maybe kind of hidden by a shrub of trees, you know, a forest of trees that you have to kind of work your way through. <laughs> a little bit of lion and the witch and the, the whatever the fuck that is. And we, we get into the weird, the wonderful, the, the multiverse, the field of, of multiverse of pinks, right? Okay. The, the Lester and Eliza to the Bart and Lisa. <laughs> I'm talking like searing fluorescent petunias. Okay. They're just mutating out there in that field. Weird field. Their, their biology is going all over the place. Okay. Burning holes in your retinas. Okay. Cracking your skull open pinks. Okay. You know, those kind of pinks just crack just crack okay crack on the head skull open yeah kind of like whole bane's opera pink one of my favorites oh, right yes. or which is a little bit transparent actually or stuart <laughs> semple's the pinkest pink the, these Ooh. give that like hot electric cool radiation mm-hmm. that kind of comes in waves Ooh, you know what i mean like it's yes. lapping at your heels oh i like your that backs towards the ocean gentle the ocean's turning pink but aware oh yeah. okay and dangerous you know very affogato a little right? bit affogato i like that yeah, a little uh, hot espresso with right. uh, cool ice cream on right. top. And th- so those colors skew psychedelic and synthetic mm-hmm. to me. Like the petunias are bursting from your blood vessels. Like they're this digital virus. Your blood vessels are now this like neon light. All it's right. a little bit body horror. Okay. They're neon pink. Your body's glowing. All right. You look like a magical wonderland. <laughs> okay. I'll t- your body horror is a wonderland. <laughs> I feel electric. 
Speaking of the pink is pink, if you recall our episode on black, mm. a certain egoista, Anish Kapoor, who was not yeah, at all compensating. Litigious. And no one will violate your rights. For any okay. personal shortcomings. Allegedly. Proceeded to gobble up allegedly. the rights to the blackest of all black pigments. Allegedly. Not a pigment. Allegedly. Vanta Black. Right. Allegedly. Beginning his villain arc, which caused a wave of outrage. Allegedly. Do not agree or disagree with these statements here. Allegedly. Ultimately leading Stuart Semple sure. to crowdsource the creation of Black 3.0 years later. Allegedly. But right. before Maybe Black 3.0, Stephanie. Stuart started with the pinkest pink, a bright ass extra spectral homemade pink. Mm-hmm that he had been using in his studio for years before mm-hmm. and decided to produce some for the public, saying that anyone was allowed to buy it as long as they were not Allegedly. Anish Kapoor. really don't want him to get his hands on this. Uh, uh, so when you know it, Stephanie, uh, Anish redacted. Kapoor allegedly did get his hands allegedly <laughs> on some of the pinkest allegedly paints and in response sent out some very cringe allegedly, yes. very emotionally walled allegedly uh, Instagram posts allegedly of his middle finger allegedly <laughs> dipped in the pinkest pink allegedly. Yeah, okay. Very telling. Very Andrew Tate energy allegedly. Yes. <laughs> yes. This whole All feud this led to Culture Hustle making accessible alternatives to trademarked colors like those of T-Mobile, Mattel, Pantone, and of course, so many others. Uh, but digitally speaking, Digital. Stephanie, if you are one of the few viewing this podcast through, through a screen, first of all, thank you. Like and subscribe. And I'm not sure where it is. We extra spectral thank you. You may notice that some of these colors here don't look very pink. And when we were editing the segments before this one, we noticed that they kind of look orange. They kind of look coral. They kind of look peachy. Some of them just look straight up red. And that is because pink, like magenta, is considered an extra spectral color, which is weird, right? Mm -hmm. Because I thought it was a light red. Mm -hmm. That was a little little ketchup and mayo mixed together. That was just a little little, uh, unholy aioli (laughs) going on here, right? Well, red is definitively spectral. Exactly, exactly. And pixels, (laughs) screens, digital cameras, and LEDs are not known to struggle with red, but they are known to struggle with pink, Mm, Stephanie. Gotcha. Algorithms, too, they have a difficult time sorting images by extra spectral colors like magenta, like pink. Mm -hmm. They may get some right, and they may leave others out completely because of the way they measure for those colors. So this is very unfortunate for us since we spent a whole night making slime and jello, Mm. but also picking out bootleg Hello Kitty toys from El Mercado. Yeah, think about how we feel. But it just speaks to the complexity of this color. Mm. Let's get into the history of Pink, an abbreviated history of pink, it wasn't until the 17th century that the term pink, as in P-I-N-K, appeared in the West, owing its name to the frilled edges of Dianthus flowers, referred to as pinks. The first recorded use of pink in the arts was that rosy-fingered hue we previously mentioned (laughs) from Homer's Odyssey. Soon after, Roman poets would later come up with their own word for rosy or pink. Mm. 
Roséus. Roséus, of course, of course. And while the upper-class Romans were enveloped in, in all shades of marble, Stephanie, white, yellow, purple, and pink, mm. depending on the, on the mineral content, of right, course, your right. middle-class Roman who could not afford the real deal hired actually faux marble artists to deck out their homes, often in the pinkish marbly hues. Ooh. Rosy cheek, pink-adorned subjects first appear in Tang Dynasty China in both silk and ceramic sculptures, a la a lady with the clamshell bun, looks a little bit like Mickey Mouse, a little, a little bit like bit. Mickey Mouse. Safflower, a yellow annual, turned fenhong, meaning light or powdered red, when used as a dye for clothes and a rouge for skin. Just don't confuse fenhon with fanto, which meant powderhead or, or prostitute. 8th century Japan also began using safflower to make pinku dyes, mm. momoiro and sakurairo, Distinguish between peach or cherry blossom hues. Momo Ido being a bit more fuchsia than the earthier Sakura Ido. Both became <laughs> integral colors in Japan, carrying on even centuries later into Japanese ukiyo-e prints. During that huge swath of time called the Middle Ages, valuable pigments like Brazilian, okay. made from heartwood of several tree species, were quickly replacing older methods. Like, like smushing tiny bugs exactly. between, the, between their fingers. Extracting any like color that comes out of that. So less of that, yeah. resulting in long-lasting pigments ranging from wine mauves to dusty roses. You have to think, though, that the artist kind of missed that gritty bug texture. Like, I know I love a gritty paint. Uh, you know, I would think I would miss the, like, little leggies and little, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Do they have exoskeletons? What do they have? It's possible. Furs, little follicles, little spider follicles. Little antennas. Okay. What? I okay. Know. All right. So... <laughs> You can likely see Brazilian in this kind of weird illuminated manuscript <laughs> by uh, Jean de Limbourg depicting oh, no. the Duke de Berry wearing a yeah. flamboyant <laughs> peak hoopalon um, in an otherwise deeply blue composition. Duke, Duke, de Berry, Duke of Berry is here is a medieval cereal mascot. Like the breakfast, right? Not the, not the podcast. The cereal. <laughs> no. That would be great. It's it's a male chip. <laughs> Made chimp. That's really that's really hard to put those two things together. Anyway, he he put on his flamingo hide here. All his men, his berry sniffing dog and angel, and angel, are going out to decry a serial tax on the surf children. S- silly surfs, S- silly surfs, b- bolly berries <laughs> off of dukes. Silly surfs, okay. bolly berries off of dukes. Okay, silly surfs. Little dukes, the bolly berries, <laughs> the bolly berries off of dukes. Yes, they are. Sorry. Um, How um, do you think they get the color? The raspberry. It's blood, the blood of soft children. <laughs> okay. Everyone deserves Look, to I know can't the do, crunch. Yeah, I okay. said I wouldn't do English accents in this one because of Stuart. That's true. As a, as you, a broke you broke the rule. You broke the rule. That wasn't English. What was that? I don't know. <laughs> it was at the Hans, the Swedish <laughs> Hans really accent. One. <laughs> Pink would quickly become associated with baby Jesus, Mom. baby J. First in the form of silky BB robes to signify Christ's flesh and blood. Mom. By the time the high renaissance rolled around, pinks were showing up more and more, often mixed into skin tones of all shades. Listener Modest G mentioned Raphael's Madonna of the Pinks, where rosy-cheeked BBJ can be seen presenting pink carnations to the Virgin Mary, uh, representing a spiritual marriage between mother, mother Mom. and child. Mother. How sweet. Ma- ma- mother, mother, mother. Ma- See, he, like, the Renaissance uh, baby BBJs evolved. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> ma- mother, mother, ma- mother, 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 <laughs> mother. Of, uh, mother, I've committed uh, the golden ratio to, to memory, mother. <laughs> mother. Okay. Mother, 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 may I touch your face? <laughs> 
Back to that precious heartwood derived pigment. Was it was a Brazilian? 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 Yeah, Brazilian. In the 15th century, Portuguese conquistadors were on a little visit to the New World, and if they if they put up one hand, kind of spread it flat, mm-hmm. squinted their eyes, and said "Oh la la la," I don't see you. <laughs> to any indigenous God. folks they may have happened upon. They found a pristine, untouched land filled with trees that could produce Brazilian or Brazilian, <laughs> whatever it is. And thus, this tiny little speck of land would be renamed after the tree, Brazil. With this seemingly never-ending supply of Brazilian, Europe has a pink juggernaut mm. on their hands. Yeah. Sumptuary laws tried to stop it, but pink just barreled on through really taking off in 18th century France. France. (laughs) Suffice to say, pink became this highly used and loved color, but it also got a reputation for being a bit scandalous. A a bit bourgeois. As many of you mentioned, there may be no greater example of this than Jean-Honoré Fragonard. Jean-Honoré Fragonard, okay? Specifically, his infamous swing painting from 1767. You can see the bedbugs just flying (laughs) off of of, of this very jiggly puff silhouette, which is kind of just gliding through this this very dark garden. These vignettes upon vignettes of dark gardens. That pink robe that once (laughs) symbolized the purity of BBJ, Mm, right? That pink carnation that Ah. symbolized his bond... (laughs) with his virgin mother, has been turned on its debt. From carnation to uh, carnal desire to uh, a... <laughs> yes, <laughs> the swing itself is a symbol of a physical, whimsical thrill, mm. right? She's gliding carelessly through the air and, whoops, she's even lost her zapato, her shoes. Yeah. Her elderly husband is literally in the dark, but really enjoying giving her a push on that swing. While a uh, fresh-faced, rosy-cheeked young man is, is parting the bramble, mm-hmm. patiently waiting for uh, Jigglypuff here to allow, to allow <laughs> my uh, peek up or puff. A little look This is the 18th century aristocratic sleaze at its finest from the it boy of Rococo Smut. Aristocrats who swam in the 18th century pink-hued excesses, like uh, Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, for example, became revolutionary symbols of debauchery and fodder for explicit NSFW NSFW libel prints, which comically illustrated what the swing could only hint at. Mm -hmm. What's that that saying, Stephanie? Which one? If you got got time to swing on a swing, also swing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you got time to share the uh, material necessities for survival with, with your fellow hu- humans. Right. Because of this, rosy pink cosmetics were attacked as damaging to the skin and gasp. <gasps> Morals. <laughs> Morals. And while we agree with their class concerns, painting things on a color falls in a long and, and stupid line of people fearing color for its ability to obscure the rational truth. Think about how similar the terms Fan Han <laughs> and Fan Do were prostitute, makeup, or light red. Mm. As in someone who is using pink blush to deceive you into thinking they were aroused. When color swerves into artifice, it makes people really uncomfortable. It's also one of the reasons why, decades later, critics found the Impressionists to be so vulgar. They were making an emotional experience from a partial truth that was unnerving to the people at that time. From Mary Cassatt's giant bowed pink bonnet to Degas' pink dancers, both at the RCB and B-Nots mentioned the lush, calming pinks 
prominent in the Impressionist movement, Mm -hmm. which partially owed their love of this extra spectral color to those fleeting, floating pinku moments found in circulating ukiyo-e prints. Mm. Van Gogh, though, Van Gogh. couldn't keep himself from using the brightest of all possible pinks in his works. If you look at Roses from 1890, you see a vase overflowing with cool white blooms and otherwise analogous greenish blues. But if you look really closely, you can see this faint, almost golden, honey-tinged white that used to hold a boatload of pink pigment. As we discussed in our Magenta episode, Joshua Reynolds' ghostly pale white portraits were victims of a bright red pigment (laughs) that would often go fugitive. And Van Gogh knew this, so he laid it on thick. So thick. Hoping to stave off their fleeting hues. Didn't work. Uh, Thicker globs of paint went fugitive. Yes. As they would. That's how pigment works. <laughs> in a less extreme example in the bedroom, the purple walls have faded to blue and the pink floor to brown. Kind of romantic though, right? Everything is fleeting, so why not enjoy the brightest of all pinks? Hmm. Pink has long been a celebrated color in India. Hmm. Westerners sometimes referring to its ubiquitousness as the navy blue of India. Okay. In 1876, the city of Jaipur got its nickname the Pink City when they amped up their naturally light red sandstone buildings by pink washing them with calcium oxide. Always wanted to go there. Up until this point, we can say that pink is not necessarily associated with the feminine. That's all going to shift starting in 19th century England. 19th century British families would adorn newly born BB boys in pink ribbons, and they would even dress Mm. them in pink dresses, carrying on the tradition of BBJ swaddled in pink robes. Pink was regarded as boy color as well in the in the U.S. of A. Baby, mm-hmm. as we see here in the infamous and anonymous young boy with a whip, circa 1840. See, he's uh he's wearing a pink dress, but but he's got a whip, so you know he's tough. The thought process was red was a masculine color, so this light red was for a little mini man, mm. little mini hombre. Little baby girls, meanwhile, <laughs> were dressed in a light blue, yeah. perhaps to emulate the Virgin Mary, mm. who was associated with that iconic lapis. However, somewhere between the late 1920s and 1940s, department stores found that people were starting to buy pink for their BB girls. Okay. This gendering of color was so important that even Time Magazine decided to throw its best investigative reporters on the job. Okay, surveying the finest department stores in the country. And the results were a little bit mixed. Okay. okay. Not at all clear. Not clear. Okay. It seemed like both were acceptable. Okay. But by the 1940s, the switch had been officially made. Pink was now for girls. Mm. Let me check the math here, Stephanie. That means baby boomers were the first generation (laughs) to definitively enforce gendered colors. Interesting, Mm -hmm. interesting. Not at all. Right. The the boomers are completely fine and uh, normal and regular. Regular? (laughs) Regular? (laughs) Good old capitalism said, why stop with the babies? And proceeded to successfully sell all sorts of feminine products to not just girls, but also adult women. Okay. So we now see pink refrigerators, vacuum cleaners, radios, sanitary products, telephones, scales, 
and the Dodge La Femme. Ah, uh, yes. It had and a, uh, I think, a compartment for your lipstick. Did it? Yeah. In Whole your purse, ass compartment. In your purse. I think so. For my lipstick. Maybe it was just the purse. Maybe the lipstick went in the purse and the purse went into the compartment. <laughs> Don't know. Like a Matryoshka right, doll. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So popular American culture also embraced the pink from First Lady Mamie, Mamie. Mamie Eisenhower. <laughs> Mamie, get in there and cook me some grits. <laughs> Mamie Eisenhower to Hollywood stars hey, like Audrey hey, Epperman. Mamie, you, co- you cook me some grits today. Mamie? Mamie, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I love that. Okay. (laughs) So, ladies like Mamie, (laughs) Hollywood stars, like Audrey Hepburn and Marilyn Monroe, they were all echoing the same pink associations that we've had for thousands of years, right? The flowery, the pure, the carnal, but this time highlighting... A new femininity. Of course, there were exceptions like Elvis Presley's love of pink, borrowed from African-American culture, like that of black boxing legend Sugar Ray Robinson's fuchsia Cadillac. By and large, men being associated with pink had negative connotations. Of course, effeminate, queer, pinko as in uh, baby communist, so a moderate socialist. Okay. In Latin America around this time, there was also a wave of left-leaning political movements known as the Pinko Tide that the CIA would systematically dismantle, leading to the state of those countries today. USA, baby. USA, baby. We love our secret wars. And this wasn't dissimilar from other forms of fascism. Mussolini's laws forced some football clubs to change their pink jerseys to less effeminate hues. (laughs) Or in the case of the uh, Malia Rosa, 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 worn by the leader of the, um, the, the leader of the... The Giro like, d'Italia? Yes, thank you. The, the, the guy on the bike. The, the bike, bike yeah. one. They compromised <laughs> and slapped a fascist symbol on the pink jersey. In Nazi Germany, bi or lesbian women and trans men were marked with black triangles. However, even worse was the pink triangle marked on the bi or gay men and trans women, which guaranteed a trip to concentration camps where they faced violence, not just from Nazis, but fellow inmates. That pink triangle has since been reclaimed as a symbol of pride. In 1959, a pale, lucite, grown-ass woman doll known as Barbie okay. was introduced to the USA baby. Yeah. Now, Barbie was based on a voluptuous West German novelty toy yeah. for adult men. Her name was Build Lily. Uh, basically an early dashboard waifu. So maybe enough little German girls saw a Build Lily mm. sitting on their father's dashboards because eventually <laughs> she did become popular with children. Okay. And American Mattel Inc. thinks, hmm, I want to buy the rights to this. And if they say no, which they did, they just thought, hmm, we will just make our own doll and advertise it during children's TV shows. And no one, no one will be the wiser. And then they think when Ronald Reagan is elected president in 30 years, they'll, he'll allow us to advertise even more <laughs> commercials. Yes. Then we'll, we'll really have it made. Now, little ladies could practice being little consumers. L- little consumers? <laughs> yeah, little consumers that can buy different little outfits and little accessories mm. to express themselves. <laughs> now, most of us, when we think of Barbie, mm. all of those shades of plastic pink come to mind, okay. filling your childhood toy store aisles. But it actually wasn't until the 70s that Barbie switched up their marketing and introduced the one, the only... The patented magenta Barbie pink. 
Flash forward 50-ish years to 2023, and while Barbie has grown from one shape, one skin tone, to now seven skin tones and four Original body curvy, types. tall, and petite, with 22 eye colors and 24 hairstyles for never-ending combinations. You're welcome. Okay, thank you. All right. it up. Yes, I got that yeah. part. Okay. <laughs> However, one thing has remained the same. Barbie's association with all things pink. Greta Gerwig's massive Barbie Bar- Barbenheimer film famously just took up, just ate up all the pink supply chain, right? Ate it all up. Yum, yum, yum. That was already running low due to the 2021 Texas freeze, which damaged the essential pink pigments that they used to make their pink. I guess they're only using from one company. Does it, it seems like maybe they would just source it from other pinks or I don't know. You would think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it look, I mean, the movie looks great, right? I mean, those yeah. pinks were great. So I struggled with this movie, okay? It, it, it was a step in the right direction. And it's not to say that I didn't enjoy playing with Barbie, but they were expensive. And the ones that I had were often from those um, little uh, baggy bunch, baggy bunches at the thrift store. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, well, you know, hey, they are you know, teaching you know. kids about consumerism then. If you can afford one Barbie, you can't afford the other. There you go. Teaching about the class system. You got me. You're bad. You're bad because you can only afford thrift store Barbie baggy bunches. Sometimes the baggy Barbie bunch <laughs> had clothing and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes I'd have to scrap together um, some new looks for my grandma's sewing scraps. You would sew little Barbie clothes. Jank- that's, jankily. That's sweet. I like that. Oh, my God. No, that's great. It's a hot mess. OK, so no, that's great. That's great. All that in mind. <laughs> it's hard when a company with that much baggage, uh-huh. including inaccessibility, Suddenly it makes a turn. It it feels really performative. Mm-hmm. Okay. And honestly, let let's be honest, Barbie, the movie, would not have seen the light of day without Mattel's stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. That script would have been tossed in the trash. In a pink Barbie, yeah. Barbie pink trash can. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, in the Barbie font. <laughs> well, I mean, this reminds me of like the RC squared. This is kind of like some brand mm. reimagination, some self inoculation yes and it came at a time that it's very popular and very financially beneficial to stand up against these weird norms that we've been fed but fed by corporations like like mattel Mattel. and it's more than just mattel of course but they are one piece in a larger american pop culture gravitational pull Mm -hmm. that has really touched on all these different countries through either occupation or actual distribution (laughs) That over time and and that sort of American saturation has made the symbol pink equals feminine ubiquitous, not just in America, but worldwide. We're to blame for this whole pink thing. We are. It's Mamie's fault. (laughs) I mean. Hey, Mamie, it's her fault. Mamie, it is. Mamie, it is. Listeners, the Pantry Mods have handed us a clipboard filled with your answers. But actually, we have a very special visiting color theory and associations <laughs> research analyst in an extremely pink lab coat. Listeners, you might know him as the man who has been democratizing color from greedy hands like Pantone, T-Mobile, Crypto Bros, and of course, Anish Kapoor. And in the process, gave the world wonderful colors like the pinkest pink, black 3.0, the mirrorist <laughs> mirror. But he's also a brilliant multidisciplinary artist whose work is layered and challenging both in its appearance and its social impact. Stuart Semple, 
Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, it's amazing to be here with you. <laughs> in, the, in the laboratory, although you actually have a color laboratory, unlike our imaginary color laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> a real one. I like so, your imaginary one. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Question number one. What are your immediate thoughts when you look at pink? Uh, there are no wrong answers here, Stuart. You want to lead us off? Yeah. Well, my first thought is just how potent it is. And it's always seemed to me to be a really strong, powerful colour. I mean, as you say, it's completely loaded and we've got ideas of femininity and masculine and feminine colours and all of that. And it transports me to childhood straight away. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm straight there in childhood and (laughs) growing up in this world of blue things for boys and pink things for girls and and remembering this amazing lunchbox that this girl called Megan had in my class. (laughs) And it had my little pony on it. And I really wanted her lunchbox, but it was pink. (laughs) Which kind of meant I wasn't allowed. So I, I can remember it. Um, so it takes me there, which is really strange. I totally feel that. There was another listener answer we had from Dr. P where he described like like seeing the girls aisle at a toy store and then feeling this like pang of anxiety because he wanted to go into that aisle and look at things, but feeling like he couldn't, you know? Yeah. And I I totally felt that when I was a kid, too, because it was so like you're just kind of like peeking around the corner like this is really interesting. (laughs) This stuff's really cool. Yeah, but I can't can't be caught dead in here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What kind of pink was it? Was it like a hot pink or kind of like a desaturated pink? It was quite hot. I think, mm-hmm. but it was more like a sort of powdery kind of baby pink. You know, it wasn't oh, getting okay. to the neon extreme like the pinkest pink. It was much less than that, but it wasn't muted. So I've heard in various interviews with you that I think you said pink is your favorite color. Is that still the case? Yeah, what's yeah, the, definitely. What's the story behind creating the pinkest pink? I know we all know how it got released. <laughs> yeah. Because of, yeah. But what was the, because you've made it before. That yeah. Whole, Fiasco. That's right, yeah, because most people think I made it in response to the mm-hmm. fiasco, but I didn't. I've been making my own colours since I was about eight years old. Oh, wow. And oh. I, Yeah, and every time I've done an art exhibition, I've always made a new colour um, to make my work. Oh. And um, I've had the pink for about maybe 15 years, and every time I've done a show, I've dialed it up, and it's got more and more and more and more saturated. And the pink, out of all the colours I've ever made, is actually the most potent and the most vibrant. Oh, wow. So that was the one I wanted to release to make a point in that mm-hmm. instance, you know. But yeah, I've been making colours for a long time. So listeners, as always, we loved the spectrum of color associations here. Original Sophia at Sophia's Cons Consto says, pink makes her think of, quote, girlhood, sunsets, ketchup and mayo mixed, white skin after a day in the sun and healing scars, end quote. Wow. That's brilliant. Yes. We have another one that kind of speaks to Sophia. So we have Jameson at Jardin de J says pink is, quote, a fleshy, tender representation of our origins as humans. Pink is a tint of primal energies that resides in us, end quote. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Like, I, I don't think I've ever equated pink to being physically like in our body. Obviously, it's in our body. But recently, like I had uh, I got a wound and I had like a like the bacterial infection, like almost immediately started to kick in. And I just saw my arm like I was looking at it like a topographical map almost. <laughs> and I'm watching like all this like pink skin like arise to like start fighting off the bacteria. And it, it's just pretty amazing. Like how pink is just this 
you know, it's a color, but it's also like a color of our skin, but also it does kind of start to stand in for this, like this bodily affection, this bodily, like nurturing. It's it's probably one of the most loaded colors when you think Mm -hmm. about it. Just like, it's so deep. The more you think about it. So we have Ren at pinkmoth.tattoo, who for context is an artist, but also a tattoo artist said, quote, I like that pink is a polarizing color. So many people go out of their way to tell me I'd get a tattoo from you, but I don't like pink. Or could I get you to paint me something in another color? It's wild to me. It all sounds like internalized patriarchy nonsense. No one goes out of their way to say I hate blue or green or red, but they always have to chime in when the color in question is pink, end quote. Um, (laughs) if you're calling out pink specifically, it's a bit suspect. Like it's more of a reflection on you and your whatever biases that you have against pink. (laughs) Yeah, but it brings it out of people, pink, more than anything else. (laughs) You know, like if a guy wears a bright pink T-shirt, it's actually quite controversial in a strange way. Even now, like, wait, what are you doing? Can you wear a pink T-shirt? It's kind of... Really odd. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I chose to do the pinkest pink in response to the the he who shall not be named Fandango, um, because <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah, um, it just kind of raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? It, it? it brings a lot up, and I feel like it's okay to not like a color, but it is a little bit suspect when it's pink because of all those associations. <laughs> you know, like there are some blues that I'm not like if I'm just looking at that pure like let's say light navy blue jeans blue i might not like that color very much but in a painting or in a tattoo colors play off of one another and i don't know how you'd ever rule out (laughs) like a color from something it's so crazy but you're right there's no other color that people are really that raging about right really get really winds people up St. Henry of Brittlebriar says, quote, I think of that pale pink as the emotional opposite of a really nice, almost black, dark brown, where the dark brown has depth and leaves room for emotion and contemplation. The pink feels like a suffocating vacuum of space or my nose on a really dry day in the middle of winter, end quote. It's amazing how much, it's almost poetry that comes out of it. Like, like the listeners are essentially writing poems about colors. I know, right? They yeah, always have yeah. great answers. Great answers. It's beautiful. This is why we love doing this. Question numero dos. Outside of art, do you associate this color with any specific memories? Stuart, this is one of our favorite questions. And you kind of answered it with the My Little Pony lunchbox. But I don't know if there's another one that sticks out in your memory. Yeah, there is. There's a really strong memory that I have of, I think it's a Pizarro painting that I must Mm. have seen when I was eight or nine. And it has a sunset that's actually pink. And a lot of the Impressionists were playing with that play of light and color. And Pizarro actually ran pinks through in the skies. And they're incredible, those paintings, actually. I mean, they're quite romantic, but I think it's one of the earliest memories I have of an artwork that used pink where it didn't belong. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> I have this very strong memory. I don't remember where it was from. This re- reflection on this almost rusted metal. And it was reflecting that that's that like subsurface scattering where the, you know, where the where it's dusk and like the pink is kind of like expanding Mm. across the horizon but in that reflection i remember it just seemed so like unnatural and like 
almost like spiritual in a way. Like, yeah. like how does this color exist? <laughs> but it's crazy when, when nature does it, when the sky mm-hmm. gets painted by nature and nature chucks out these pinks and these oranges, it is always awesome. I mean, it, it gives you a sense of awe when you see it. And, you know, the fact that nature puts pink in the sky in real mm-hmm. life almost shouldn't be happening. It seems like it should be fake, right? Like, Right, right. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's phenomenal. Floxy with a PH. She says, quote, Growing up, we had plastic Tupperware bowls. Some were a dusty rose blush pink. My dad refused to eat from these bowls. If you forgot and tried to hand him some chips in the pink bowl, you would hear a, nah, nah, nah. I'm not eating out of a pink bowl. I don't do pink. I loved pink. When I was eight, I wore what I thought was the most fabulous of outfits, pink from head to toe, including some amazing pink tennis shoes. My sister had absorbed our dad's hatred of pink. So not only did she think pink was awful, but that none of it goes together because your pinks don't match. Out of undiagnosed anxiety, I changed my outfit. I avoided wearing pink for decades, but now I wear so many shades of pink. I have a bright pink turtleneck, a dark pink and camel plaid coat, a baby pink sweater and pink shoes. In writing this, I'm realizing that wearing pink as an adult has been an act of loving and accepting myself. End quote. Wow. Yeah, it's oh it's really God. sad when it comes from your family. Yeah. Those I mean, feelings from pink that then follow you into adulthood. <laughs> but this ridiculous deep prejudicial attitude that no way am I eating a chip out of a pink bowl in case I catch the pink. And then your poor child not being able to wear pink for most of their life because you the playing is crazy. But I'm so glad that they're embracing their pink side now and uh, that's beautiful to hear. Yes. We read that and almost like brought a tear to our eye, our eyes, almost <laughs> like it was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It definitely did for me because as a kid, I really enjoyed pink. I was allowed to wear pink. No one batted an eye. But because of that, at a certain point, like I felt like it was expected of me to always choose pink. And it made me after a certain point want to avoid wearing it for a really long time. Because as I you know, grew up, I felt like it was a slippery slope. Like if I mm. wore pink, then I would be expected to present and behave a certain way, mm. like a Stepford wife or something to that nature. And I know that's not true. And I've come around it now um, in recent years. And I, I do find power in reclaiming it. I'm still picky about my pinks, but I don't shy away from them. But if I do, it's mainly because I'm a heavy sweater and those pinks turn dark. <laughs> It's dark. dark real quick. Um, oh, no. I, I love pink, and that's honestly why I would avoid it if I do. <laughs> Sweaty pink. Yeah. yeah. Ezreal at Ezreal's Art says, quote, Okay, when I was like eight, I was obsessed with Barbie's 90s hot dark pink Jeep. And my parents delivered. My room had pink walls, pink trim, pink blankets, and a pink vanity. It was freaking pink until my sisters were playing with an easy bake oven and my room caught fire. Uh, (laughs) After that, I swore pink was bad luck. End quote. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Scorched pink. New new color right there. (laughs) Yeah, we got scorched pink and sweaty pink. I'm getting all the inspiration here. (laughs) 
Yeah, a pink that turns different colors with heat, a thermal pink. Yes. I Oh, yes. Right. I'm obsessed mm. with thermal nail polish right now and one of them is pink. It's it turns purple when it's cool and then it turns pink when it gets hot. So, mm-hmm. it's a little little inspiration. <laughs> that could be good. Question number 3. When you reach for pink, why are you reaching for it? How does it show up in your artwork or design? Mm. Well, that's interesting. Um I think the pink is pink is an artwork. So probably the best known artwork I've made with pink is probably that. Um, So it's hard to talk about anything else, really, because that's like the main thing I've ever done with pink. And a lot of people have connected with it in a way. So I think I reached for it because I felt it was politicized. I knew it had a Mm -hmm. potency and, and I wanted to sort of start that dialogue around the idea of owning colors. And I thought pink was the right one to use. But I do use pink in my paintings as well. And um, there's often a moment where I don't know how to put it, but it's almost like nothing else will do. Mm-hmm. And the pink is the answer. And um, you'll see that in my work a lot around when I, when I paint text sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, it appears in a very bright kind of toxic pink. And that's why I developed the pink in the first place. I used it for a whole series of text works first. Okay, um, nice. So that's how it shows up. I was looking at some of your, I think they're prints with paint on them. And yeah, they, to me, they reminded me of old uh, rave posters in a way. Yeah, yeah definitely. Use, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, so they're good. a big inspiration for me. Oh, yeah. good, good. I'm not off there. Okay. <laughs> no, no, you're spot on. The Viridian Killer uses it whenever she can. Quote, it's my highlights color, my secret paint color, and my favorite. The sky produces some of the best pinks and people always forget to add them to their landscapes. Such a precious, beautiful color that's always forgotten. End quote. Which, I mean, you kind of answered with that Pissarro. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is that. But it's also the fact that we feel in a way, I think, that pink is an Mm -hmm. artificial color, that it's human made. For some reason, there's something about it that doesn't feel natural. Right. And whether that's because it's a shade of red with a bit of white in it or whatever, I think that we sort of miss it. We don't see it as legitimate in some way. Mm -hmm. So we would leave it out of a landscape. It would seem weird to use it, I think. I don't know why. Spending time outdoors, I was actually going to say, it's it, the longer you sit outside and look, you realize that nature reflects off itself. And so and then they kind of combine different colors right in front of your eyes. So it, it reminded me, her quote reminded me that, yeah, pink, pink does live out there. Sometimes you just have to sit and look a little bit longer, which is really hard, I think, for a lot of us <laughs> these days to just get outside and just sit and, and observe. Seeing real color. It's really interesting. Like nature makes real colors, mm-hmm. like real pigments. And we're so used to seeing things on screens and things in books yeah. and things on our face. And obviously that's just a mixture of red, green, and blue colors. Mm-hmm. So when you see pink in nature, you see real pink, which you right. never see in a book and you're never going to see it on a screen. Right. And that's why it's so impactful. All right. So we have a listener answer here who actually kind of explores the different shades of one particular color. So we have St. Henry of Brittlebriar again. He uses a very specific pink for the feeling of a dusty old bouquet of dried roses. Quote, there's one mystery glaze at the studio where I do pottery that is dark magenta when laid on thick, pink when laid on normally, and gray when laid on thin. And I actually really like their contrast. End quote. Wow. 
Just like a chemical reaction there. <laughs> yeah, it must be some sort of weird chemical reaction. I wonder if the grey turns pink when it's fired, though. Yeah, I, I think like that that's that's something about like glazes that's just so unpredictable. Like when you when you start to add fire to the equation, much like Ezreal's like <laughs> burning <laughs> yeah. <in> the house. <laughs> yeah. uh, when you start to add it, yeah, exactly. You just don't know what it's gonna do till you cook it sometimes. <laughs> so we have Julie at the real Julie Farstad continues the idea of emotional feelings through different hues of pinks. She uses pink for quote, many reasons. Being a somewhat realistic painter, I use it for things that appear pink, but I also use it for emotional effect. Making a soft, warm pink can turn the painting into a marshmallow's place of comfort. Using a bright, hot pink can be confrontational. I love mixing different pinks because it's like sending out mixed messages mm. or alternatively, showing depth and nuance. End quote. I really love mixing pinks and red in my own work. Like you could have like a very pastel pink next to kind of like a middle of the road pink next to like a really hot cadmium red. And like those color combinations for me, so exciting. Julie's answer makes me want to explore that nuance of pink because there is pink in all of my works. Even if only in iridescence, I love iridescence. I love pearlescence. Mm. I love that extra layer of, something extra. <laughs> um, but for me, there's something about pink that can be citrusy and spicy that no other color can quite accomplish, like like a guava or a grapefruit, for example. Oh. I think mm. orange is a close second, but I just like that sort of in between orange and pink. And I use it really intuitively sometimes, not necessarily thinking about what I'm trying to say. So I think Julie's quote kind of poses that as a challenge for me when I get back into the studio. But yeah, I'm really obsessed with that sort of range of pinks at the moment. <laughs> so we have Ren, again, at pinkmoth.tattoo, quote, I literally have built my entire career around the color pink. I have not created anything in the last five years that wasn't pink. I go through so much pink gouache and tattoo ink that I see pink in my dreams. In tattooing... <laughs> <laughs> in tattooing, pink inks are very often very difficult to work with and very transparent in nature. And I enjoy the challenge of working with difficult colors. In my monochromatic landscapes, most color choices like blue trees can be indicative of winter. Red sets an oppressive and ominous vibe, etc. But colors like pink don't produce immediate associations and don't change the desired meaning of the piece. So for me, pink makes my paintings interesting and entertaining. Also, pink is just cute, end quote. <laughs> what was really interesting, what she said there, is um, the idea of pink in a tattoo. And I was thinking the same thing. Wow, it's almost too subtle. Would it show up? Would you mm -hmm. even be able to use it? And the fact that someone is that obsessed with pink and live their whole life and actually dream of it. I love this person. I'd probably marry them, to be honest. If I met them, it would just be like this whirlwind romance, wouldn't it? It would be terrible. Can we talk about Barbie pink? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people have profited a lot from the colour pink. And I think one of the baddest rotters in that space are probably Mattel because they own the rights to um, Barbie pink. So none of us are actually allowed to use that specific hue of pink because they're trying to kind of own 
girls' childhoods by coining a colour. So when you're buying those Barbie dolls, you're actually sponsoring a terrible corporation <laughs> to privatise a colour. You can't terrible. even have fun with a doll anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Oh, no. my God. No. That's horrible. Yeah. The beasts. <laughs> Well, we love, obviously, like the work you're doing, kind of liberating those colors, especially Thank like you. the, I, I just downloaded your Pantone pack. Uh, for oh, cool. Adobe. Yeah, it's really exciting. Exciting to use that. It's it's just like so ridiculous that people think they can do this and that, that corporations have all this sway and all this power to just like, what is just like a various shade right. of T, like T-Mobile, Magenta, really? Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's beyond ridiculous. I mean, right. how long have corporations been around? hundred years? Yeah. How long has nature been painting the sky per- pink, purple, know. blue, oh, forever? What is wrong with people? <laughs> I mean, I think every human being has a right to express themselves as long mm-hmm. as it doesn't hurt anybody else. So taking colours off the table so artists can't express themselves with them is unbelievably wrong. And mm-hmm. I'll do anything I can to stop people doing that because that is not right. And I mean, the, the, the whole Vanta Black and uh, name redacted story is so wonderful oh, yes. because like most people wouldn't have had access to Vanta Black to begin with. Right. It's too yeah. expensive. It's too difficult to use. Just ridiculous that he did that in the first place. And it was just like a, yeah. it's a power whole move. thing was nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Power move. Dumb. But now we have this beautiful black that you've made and that other companies are starting to make as well. Yeah. Which is awesome. It's, yes. it's it's beautiful. Yeah. And and we were talking about this in the black episode. We were thinking about like how much like things would have changed back in the day, you know, had like Van Gogh had access to like the blackest black mm. or the pinkest pink. Like obviously he already had like these brilliant, beautiful colors. Incredible. I'm just thinking about that skeleton with the cigarette. <laughs> yeah, I mean art history would have been very different, I think, with a lot of um the innovations now with colors and paints. I mean this, I mean, in all honesty, I'm seeing stuff here in the lab that probably people won't see for about five years. It's blowing my head <gasps> off. Like the, the technology that's coming in paint is literally just, I, I can tell you, it just blow your head off if you saw it's some so of this stuff. Yeah, it's so and exciting. it's way out there, like eco-polymers, plant-based stuff, iridescent <gasps> stuff, structural colors, colors that change when you look at them in different lights. And different oh, things. Yeah. Like the potential, the opacity, the quality, like it's crazy what's wow. happening. Stephanie's mind's blowing. I, 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 yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah know. You, it's coming. Can you like, share it's a, little good. a little A little hint? Also. I don't know. It's not. It's not necessarily me that's making this <laughs> okay. stuff. There's loads of people making okay. it, you know. Okay. Um, but but yeah, there's a lot of people really pushing into colours. I think one of the most exciting things I've seen in the last few weeks is proper cadmium alternatives now that are like oh, as nice. bright, as vibrant, as opaque. We've never had those. They've always been a bit rubbish. So they're, they're coming real soon. Well, in, in our last Cobalt Blue episode, we were talking about the uh, the new... Oh my gosh, I always butcher the name. Is it Yinmin Blue? Yeah. Yinmin, okay. Well, they're, they're already talking about using that as a way to reflect you know, sunlight in order to keep like areas cooler. So it's just really exciting to see you know, what we're going to do with these sort of paints in the future. And it doesn't yeah. replace like these old ways of making pigment either because they have no. their own natural properties. I think that's what's so beautiful about them, right? Yeah. There's space for both. So do you have uh, any advice for, for artists today making work? Like what would be like the one big advice you would, would give them? Make your work. You know, and, and I mean, that's a very simple way of saying 
don't picture all the people it's for. Don't think about a market. Don't think he's going to buy it. Actually find mm. your unique, real voice in what you make. Express yourself through the work. And that's the best reward you'll ever get. Yeah, so the truthfulness is the point. Yeah, it's almost like you you have to like just be obsessed with that if you you can't think about this the steps afterwards. You just gotta be there. <laughs> and that's You've so You've gotta hard to have do. the work. You've gotta yeah. have the work, you know. And with Instagram and all of that, and this mm-hmm. person's posted that, and that one's got all these like and there's a lot of comparisons and everybody's making stuff and it feels more competitive than ever and all the rest of it. Yeah. What you do is you keep your head down, mm-hmm. you focus on your work, you keep doing it. I think also embracing the mistakes that you might make in your work or not the mistakes, but just like doing something and not quite getting there, but it's a step towards it. Like, that's okay. Like embrace that too, because you needed to mess up in this way to, you know, get to your end result. So not getting there the first time is totally fine. It's another thing that is hard to remember. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a lifelong process and like all human beings mess things up and get them wrong and it comes Mm -hmm. out a bit wonky and weird. And there's no shame in that. That's the beauty of the thing. The imperfections yes. are, the, are where it's always in the imperfections. The bit where it went wrong is the clue yep. every yes. time. Yep. And not to hark on like digital work at all, but it's so easy now to just like, if you mess up, just move it a little bit, like just select that thing and move it. And sometimes it's, it's so good to just own mistakes because like you were saying, like they become like such an integral part of your work. They become an integral part of who you are and, and great artists make mistakes. It's like there's no undo button on a painting, you know, <laughs> like I spend ages doing digital stuff and then I paint again and I'm like looking for Apple X to like cut <laughs> something. And I'm like, no, you're holding a paintbrush, yeah. you idiot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, Stuart, is there okay? So, any anywhere you'd like us to send our listeners to check your work out? Obviously, um, culture hustle, but what about your yeah, work specifically? Probably just my Instagram, Stuart Semple, is the best place okay. to see what I'm up to. Great. Well, thanks uh, so much for being a person who shares your work and is. Uh, we just like the more we got into like looking at your work, we realized how much of like uh, an influence you were, especially to like younger artists, and like you're almost like showing them the way. And it's so great to like have a voice like you have such a platform so keep it up oh, thank we're, you we're big fans we're so happy Aww. that you joined us and feel free to Thanks come back anytime <laughs> i'd love yeah. that yeah. Oh, so awesome. nice to meet you both thank you for yeah. having thank me you. It's great fun bonus round we asked you to describe pink as mm. a sort of pink sommelier yeah like what's in it <laughs> what's it smell like what are you tasting what are the notes what all are right the notes Yes. Yeah. All good questions. Yeah. All good thoughts. I only know notes. Is there something else? Beti- is there something else besides hint. notes? Yeah. Hints. Hints. There's hints and notes. Aftertaste. Okay. Aroma. Sure. I don't know. Okay. Alrighty. Starting off with at Jardin de J. Quote: This beverage greets us with gentle notes of crisp citrus and mm-hmm. berry. I don't know why I have an accent all of a sudden. Because <laughs> you're salmonier. Right. Give me your best uh, Saint-Manier voice, Stephanie. Okay. That would remind one of a brisk spring morning on the countryside. Mm. The tart overtone is kindly balanced out with chiming echoes of rose mm. and a pleasant undertone of mint. Parentheses. It would be served with a sprig of thyme and three mm. pomegranates, arils. Oh, my God. And that, parentheses, that, end quote. Yeah, that mint is sending me. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to cut it with some seltzer, oh. right? Because it does, it does sound a little too sweet. Anytime you're in, introducing time into the equation, you assume it's a little sweet. Oh, really? You're, you're going to try and balance it. Okay. You know what I mean? All right. Well, my yeah. mouth 
is watering. Because okay. that time, though. Time gets you. Yeah. Sneaks up on time you. Time does sneak up on you, yeah. I have a message for Jay. Jay. Patent this stat, okay? Patent this. Yeah. And I think you should name it Spring mm. Brisk DJ. Okay. All right. Next up, at Ezreal's Art. Mm. Quotes. Ooh. <laughs> Damn, y'all. Okay. Pomegranate with notes of berry, uh, a twinge of citrus, probably lemon. Okay. And it's got a sparkle. It's got a sparkle. Okay. Like those sassy Valentine's Day wines. <laughs> but like, hold on. Like actual Wait, sparkles though? Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Yes. You call those see you tomorrow sparkles. <laughs> Why? Because th- no. Because you see them tomorrow. No, your stomach acids would break it down. They would disappear yeah, into yeah, your body. That's, that's definitely what happens to glitter, Stephanie. Your body yeah. would glitter just gets plastic. broken down, right? <laughs> just gets broken down. You wouldn't see it the next day at all, would you? Okay, hold on. Even if, if it happened to tra- tra- pass, trespass, tra- tra- traverse, traverse. Thank you. <laughs> traverse your whatever. How many like um, feet of organ you have? Okay. All right. Hold on. So Ezreal continues. Not very eloquent right now. <laughs> no, we're not. Ezreal continues. <laughs> so think about sparkles the next. Day. I'm sorry. Go on. But for some reason. It's got this slight aftertaste yeah. in your mouth. You can't quite pinpoint. So you finish the whole bottle. Yeah, <laughs> finish the whole <laughs> bottle? I'm sorry. Just take it. Just do it. I think we'll be seeing those sparkles a little bit sooner than anticipated if we finish the whole bottle. Okay. All and right, it's well, not a see you tomorrow sparkle. It's a see you. I mean, an I hour it still, later. It still ends up in the same spot. All right. Just like through a different, just, you know, roof or basement. It's coming out. Front door, back door. <laughs> <laughs> Returning quote, I don't know. Okay. Trying to figure it out a while later, your drunk mistakes were made and you realize it was a hair sprayish aftertaste the whole time and you can't let it go. So you take your wine Mm -hmm. haze ass to bed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this is when I think the word expunge (laughs) should be used. You know, like that's used for like crimes and shit. No, crime against myself. Yeah. Right here. Expunge me. Expunge it, please. You know, I think I'm thinking though, like the the sparkles could be like an exfoliation for your stomach. For For your your insides. Yeah. (laughs) For all the good bacteria and bad bacteria you may have up there in there. Down there? Where is it? It's in there somewhere. Although I do really like the the branding possibilities for see you tomorrow sparkles. I just feel like that's maybe a little bit crass. See C-U-2. No, C. Why not? I think it's just like a, you know, a, a 60s uh, silhouette of a 1960s sexist depiction of a woman and it sparkles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See you sure. sparkles. This is your idea yeah. that's never coming to fruition. No, Sorry, I, I think I, actually it's, <laughs> I think it's sold pretty well. Maybe in a certain yeah, market. I'm, gonna, I'm trademarking this. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. You heard it first year, yeah. listeners. You heard it first year. If you heard of black girl magic wine. This is uh, white, <laughs> white boy sparkles. <laughs> white boy sparkles, get out of here. Okay. Question number four. Does it remind you of any artworks, architecture, or pop cultural items? Y'all sent in so many responses that there is no way, no Ugh. pink and way, that we can get to them all. But it's clear that you have all experienced pink in such varied places, and the impression that it's left on you all just goes to show that it is everywhere because it can be so many things for so many people. Mm. There was no shortage of products and pop cultural references to sort through. Mm. We have tutus, rose quartz, McBling, okay. rose gold iPhones, Sweet treats like birthday cakes, macarons, blancmange, I think I said that right, but also makeup products available in thousands of different shades of pink. Mm. The Chronic Elephant says that it reminds her of wearing too much blush as a teenager. Okay. 
Um, chronic elephant. Same here. Same here. Thanks to my mom being a Mary Kay rep. Basically, my sister and I would break into her inventory and sample mm. um, stuff ourselves. We got caught because we were really bad at hiding broken compacts and pallets. Speaking of Mary Kay, though, several of you mentioned the highly coveted trademarked pink Cadillac that you would get to lease after reaching a certain number of sales. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why it's important to say Sugar Ray Robinson had a fuchsia Cadillac. You don't <laughs> want to think he was like he doesn't want to be a Mary Kay rep. He's going to be associated with Mary Kay reps. Cannot right? confuse the two. He punches faces. He does not blush <laughs> them. OK, you, you might need blush after he punches your face. <laughs> At Jardin de J, thinks of the painting Rainy Season in the Tropics by Frederick Edwin Church. Quote, one might not immediately think of pink when seeing this piece, but I am always drawn to the light pink haze mm. created from the vapors that emerge from the gorge. It hits me with a sense of calm and whimsy. Mm. Smiley face. Smiley face. End quote. Yeah. Jameson, I have to agree. Yeah, concurring okay. um, smiley face here. Yes. Yeah. Once you look you at this. You may not see it on the screen, but it's a concur. It's in, it's, it's in my heart. It's in your corazón? Yeah, yeah. my corazón, yes. Me gusta. Si. Very sweet. Si. <laughs> takes time to notice it that pink vapor haze but once you do it's like it's a surprise but it's like a gentle okay. a gentle misting St- i mean stewart mentioned this but we rarely experience real pink right mm-hmm. it's usually on a screen so unless that pink is slapping you across the face like pissarro painting those subtle dewy pink mistings can go unnoticed right yes And that's not to say that these paintings are describing pure, unadulterated nature, right? Like, Church did spend decades upon decades painting from life, but his most well-known works are panoramic constructs with commercial viability Mm. in mind. Like, he was one of the most successful painters of his day. So, he was the consumerism and technology of his day. It was just... It was less. It was just less, Less. yeah. (laughs) So allow me to uh, to just take the take the wheel, Stephanie. Jesus, take the wheel. Russell, take the wheel, okay. and swerve this pink podcast towards Simpsons Pink. Oh no, Pink, Pink, Pink! Uh, which, oddly enough, is very connected to the transcendentalist painters like Frederick Church. For me, at least. So back in school, I was studying artists like Church, but I also really enjoyed horrible printed out screenshots of bizarre <laughs> Simpsons landscapes from like the early seasons. This was pre-Frankiac. This was pre-Scenic Simpsons. Okay. okay, we're talking like torrented Oof. 240p Simpsons, <laughs> like ripped from a VHS. Damn. <laughs> like they have the tracking or like the watermark from yeah. the fucking channel, yeah. <laughs> the local channel, uh, which I think adds to the experience. But there are moments in The Simpsons where they're trying to set the narrative so they get really cinematic. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'd see a pink sunset or they blend that peptabismal pink with muted violets and reddish greens. I don't know. There was always this sense that at any point you were on the verge of peeking past, like, I I don't know, like Homer getting his 15th job or whatever. Oh, my God. (laughs) Getting fired or whatever. And discovering a secret like enclave hidden back there behind Homer, right? For for a few (laughs) seconds at best, like that has this like enormous world in it. Yeah. Church gives it to you. Like he gives you that enormous world, that enormous panoramic view. But in The Simpsons, you had to like really search it out. Uh, so Russell only watches and rewatches like three TV shows. Mm. <laughs> I think that's normal. Um, I think most people do that, Stephanie. But because I think it's pretty normal. But because I yeah. also got to observe yeah. those early seasons. You're 
it's really refreshing to see how playful they really were with their colors, mm. right? Like their house interior was this like sick pink gradient. Oh, like, yeah. You're talking about the very early seasons. Very yeah, early. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The producers actually hated those gradients. Why? Which is why they just went away suddenly. Because they were they were pretty awful. <laughs> like, no, I love them. The rare Simpsons awful gradient. Were, I, I love it too. Yes. Yeah. Love. So speaking of. Yeah. Tough segue. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of overwhelming pink. Many of you mentioned the immersive installation mm-hmm. by Portia Munson called The Pink Project, and it was recently up at the Museum of Sex in New York City. New, New York City. New York City. And it's kind of like putting on pink goggles, okay? okay? So there's a room completely filled with thousands of pink objects mm-hmm. that she has collected since girlhood, mm-hmm. and many of them are cheap and or disposable, and it honestly does start to resemble, like, some kind of a womb okay. situation, okay? <laughs> And it's all meant to make you think about the environment and consumerism's effect on the planet, i.e. capitalism. We saw a different work of hers called Garden. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like if your grandma who liked to stitch decorated hell, crocheted hell. (laughs) I I mean, I loved it. Put a doily on it. it. (laughs) I wish it was a bit more immersive at times. Like I wish you could walk through it more. Uh, but there were a lot of pinks in this installation, a mm-hmm. lot of periwinkles, a lot of, pu- a lot of pooses, pooses, and a lot of uh, bendy yellow rabbits, yeah. those vintage bendy yellow rabbits. Love those. Yeah. Had one once. Mm. W- did you like take it from the installation? No, okay. I had one and now right. I've lost it. Anyway, all right. From the installation? No. Okay. <laughs> My childhood. Do you think she finds things in those installations that weren't there before? <gasps> you like people donate it yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Like, this is pink. I'm just going to toss that in there. Do you think she remembers everything that she puts in? She probably has them all coded. I would have to think there's like a numeric system on them. You know what? Yeah, Yeah. because people have to install those, right? This is like A15,036. You're probably right. (laughs) She has a team people for that. Yeah. At Floxy had this to say, quote, Pink for me is such an Italian renaissance Mm. and mannerist color. They were truly brilliant at tinting, shading, and otherwise manipulating the primary colors to use juxtapositioned with earth tones. Okay. Pontormo's deposition from the cross is probably one of my favorite uses of the color pink. I love Pontormo. Yes. His twisty bodies. Yeah. His pastel (laughs) pinks that still kind of like burn your retinas. How did he do that? How do you make a pastel pink burn your retina? I mean, I I, I have the same question, but also I question, I thought you didn't like... This time period. Well, I mean, there are always artists who transcend their time period. Stephanie, like I I mentioned The Simpsons. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I mentioned Pontormo, and and there are others, too. Okay. All right. (laughs) Maybe we'll have to do a a little slice of Pontormo in the future. Mm. Winky face. I I forget which side I can do it, so we're we're just doing both sides. We're just doing both sides. Speaking of winky faces, Mm. the next painting does... No, no winking, no está winking. Okay. Not even sure blinking, let alone winking. <laughs> no. So this, um, is a, this is a stare. Definitely. Our sitter here has some tood. Mm. Okay. She's maybe falling asleep mm. or maybe low on iron. Or, or the painter is a little overly chatty, perhaps, mm. and she's a little bit sick of it. She looks like someone you, you could see in real life, right? Uh-huh. Like you, you might have seen her. Someone, yeah, in like at, at, if Renaissance Fair. Yes, this is Portrait of a Woman from 1575 okay. by an artist that I just discovered. I was uh, late to the game. No, very late to the game if you uh, look at those numbers there. Here we have Renaissance mannerist René Manny, mm. painter Giovanni Battista Moroni. And unlike painters of his time, he didn't give us idealized, stiff as shit portraits, right? So if you had dark under eye circles, mm. they were painted in because that's what you look like. Oh. You forgot to shave today? 
Scruff's included. You feeling a little painter shy, camera shy? <laughs> He's going to capture that. He's going to capture that. Our sitter here, aside from her expression, has some really relatable human traits. Okay. Her hair is frizzy. Her bushy eyebrows are uneven. Mm. And she even has some faint upper lip hair and the slightest double chin, mm. which critics didn't care for. They wanted the the renaissance of man, Stephanie, not the personality of a Bob Burger character. <laughs> Bob Burger. Bob Burger. <laughs> um, but also, he loved using pink. Okay. She's wearing a high-status pink brocade dress, white ruffled lace collar, and pearl jewelry. In portraits of Isotta Brembati, Mm. she is seen wearing a ruffled white collar with periwinkle pink stitching or pink bows throughout her hair or even a dianthus pink and purple furry fan. And y'all, like I said, I hadn't heard of this artist before and I'm still blown away. And the amount of pink in uh, Moroni's oeuvre is pretty impressive. So I don't know if we've really come to a conclusion with pink. It's (laughs) always, always been with us. Uh. It's extra spectral, but it's also just a light red. It's easily missed, but also searingly bright. It's in carotenoid producing algae, but also cartoons. It's feminine, it's bourgeoisie, it's alien, but it's also in all of our bodies. I'm just going to suggest that we just shrug. I think we. I think you shrug. No, wait, 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 wait. Let's all do it together. Okay. The listeners at home, you and me, let's all, let's, let's, let's all just shrug together, okay? Uno, One, dos, two, three. tres. Well, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this this installment of this little mini color series within a podcast series. We will be covering purple or gold next. The survey will be up on this episode's website post at artslicepod.com. If we've taken it down, you've missed your window. Thanks again to Rose of Loyalty Freak Music for letting us use the song I Need to Do It to Be Alive by Soft and Furious from the album Diving in the Self, which is one of like a thousand incredible songs they've made. You can pick it up for Name Your Own Price on Bandcamp. It's a great album, honestly. Or you can support Rose's mission to create queer, free music against capitalism and fascism on Patreon. We'll put the links um, in the show notes or in the, the YouTube stuff. And a huge thank you to Stuart Semple for joining us. We recorded with him back in March, April, maybe. <laughs> Uh, very patient. Very patient man. Yes. So a lot has happened in his color laboratory since then. We recommend going to check it out at Culture Hustle, uh, including a new pink color based on Mattel's called uh, Pinky. Check it all out at culturehustle.com and check out Stuart's work on his Instagram page at Stuart Simple. Be sure to share the show with a friend. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave us a review on your pod player of choice. Thank Brian for filming the B-roll while he sweats out of his pink gloves. Or... <laughs> Consider joining our small but excellent group of patrons over at patreon.com slash artslicepod so we can keep making the show. We will see you next time, listeners, on the Art Slice Museum Division of Color Theory and Color Studies. We still don't have a sign-off. Um, color pink? 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 It, pink's not dead. We'll no. see you next time, listeners. Bye. 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 Bye, you can see us waving goodbye this time. Bye.